A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Episode 3, Series 2 of the Women's Running Podcast. I'm Esther Newman, Editor of Women's Running, and in this episode I speak to Jess Piasecki, the winner of the Florence Marathon in 2019. We like to talk about journeys at Women's Running, and Jess's journey in particular is utterly compelling. She came to our attention when she won that marathon in 2019, in so doing becoming the third fastest GB woman of all time. But how she got to that start line in the first place is a roller coaster journey through injury after injury. She talks to me here about her ultra sporty start at school and then how her career weaved in and out of dramatic injuries, including spine fractures, and how she built back from that. She also talks very honestly here about how she didn't have a proper period until she was 27, the importance of oestrogen on bone health, and how important periods are as an indicator of overall women's health. Jess is a presenter on the Female Athlete podcast, which is well worth a listen, and there's a link in the show notes, as well as a link to the Fitter Woman app, which she's a brand champion of, and speaks eloquently here about how important it is for young athletes to learn what their bodies are going through. This episode is sponsored by Runderwear, a small brand in Dorset which makes technical performance underwear to prevent chafing. Voted the UK's number one underwear and socks brand at the UK Running Awards, Runderwear is well known for designing seamless, moisture-wicking underwear that runners love. Runderwear is also the sports bra and underwear partner of England Athletics, and their sports bras come with their chafe-free guarantee and are available in sizes 28A to 40H. Women's running listeners can get an exclusive 20% off all full-priced items online using the code WR20 at runderwear.co.uk. This week, the Runderwear team is launching an amazing competition, giving one lucky listener the chance to win a Runderwear winner's bundle. The bundle will include everything you need to start your running journey with Runderwear, including a base layer, a sports bra, a pair of chafe-free underwear and a pair of socks. The winner can choose the colour and style of each item included in their bundle. To enter this amazing competition, you just need to enter your details at Runderwear. There's quite a big URL, so I've made a shortened bit.ly link. So just go to bit.ly forward slash runderwearcomp. That's bit. 
www.ly.com/randawarecomp. Find the link in the podcast notes. Yeah, no, it's it's lovely. It's you know, well, you know what the running community is like. It's um, yeah, generally speaking, ninety nine point five percent of it is just massively supportive and yeah. entirely lovely and full of smiley yeah. people. So it's um, yeah, it's all good. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Um, How's lockdown been? It's not been that bad. Um, it's it's been strange. I think I think it's still going. I still go through like peaks and troughs, really, in terms of enthusiasm for life I suppose um when it first came about obviously it was all the issues with um not issues but you know whether the Olympics was going to be on or not so that was all a bit uncertain and then I think once we got into the thick of the lockdown you sort of just got on with things and um for work purposes we've been just at home like I only go into work now if I have to go into the lab or other than that it's just two hours a week um, and I'm, I'm part-time now, so I work Monday to Wednesday. Um, so I went part-time to, you know, give myself more time to train for the Olympics and the trials and stuff, and obviously it's all gone a bit bit uh, upside down, but it's been okay. I think um, as it gets a bit uh, darker and things and you're still living at work, it's a bit of a struggle sometimes, but just have to sort of make the most of you know the weekends and get outside and stuff like that so yeah yeah. um yeah it's it's fine it is what it is isn't it I think we're we're quite lucky in the fact we live in like the nice countryside so there's lots of things you can do and um we still managed to sort of celebrate it was my mum's 60th a couple of weeks ago and so had a few family things for that so obviously we're just six of us and things but it's been fine just ticking along with training as well so um, and we've now got a date for the Olympic trials next year. So it's sort of nice to have that a bit of a target now. It's the 26th of March. So we don't know the ins and outs of the format, but I think it is going to be like a looped marathon course somewhere closed off. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've been given a date. So that's that's nice now yeah. rather than like some lofty goal that we don't know <laughs> where it is or what's happening. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, I wanted to talk to you about well I want to talk to you about about you but um it's, you know you're you're just you're so inspirational um <laughs> and, but I when I you know when we we first kind of started talking about you a bit in the magazine is um is because of Florence yep um and and because of Florence we started like right who is who is this woman and where <laughs> have you been and what have you been doing and there was you finished in such an incredible time um, third fastest GB woman, um, and there was that just that amazing photograph of you that kind of went viral of <laughs> you finishing. Um, it was absolutely amazing. So I kind of I just want to find out what got you there, how you got there. Yeah, um, well, <laughs> it's a long story, I suppose. <laughs> if you go right to the very beginning, well, let's go to the beginning. I mean, tell me about um, tell me about school for you. What was that like? Were, were you the sporty kid? Yes, I was very lucky to go to a school that was had loads of opportunities for school as well. And my parents were always very active. Um, my dad played um, like badminton and squash. He played a lot of racket sports when he was younger, and <clears throat> they'd always, you know, been in like going walking and um, swimming, running, whatever. So I think just from a young age, I I always did swimming. I think from a very young age, and then I played tennis and. Then I went to school, did netball, did rounders, and 
I think my mum brought over, um, you know, some of the, they were clearing out the loft or something like a few, few months ago and she brought around and there was all these like school team sport photos. And I must've had like, I think eight or 10 when I was, you know, in year six at primary school, because we did have rounders and, um, we had everything. So it was, it was great from that respect. And I think even a few of us were like trying to play cricket with the boys and football with the boys and stuff. <laughs> and, um, they still let us join in. I can't say we were any good, but, um, we, we, I definitely did everything and I, I just love sports. Um, I was never really into, you know, as I suppose stereotypical like girly stuff. Uh, mm. like, I'd never wear makeup. I would wear my full football strip anywhere I possibly could. Um, I used to go to the Manchester City Football Club. Um, I was a season ticket holder with my dad and I used to go there all the time. Um, and that, I think that carried on right through senior school, really. Um, but I started to focus primarily on hockey. Um, probably from the ages of like 14 ish um mm-hmm. that became sort of my primary focus and in senior school you sort of had to be a bit more selective with the sports that you did I, I still did cross country and we had to do that in PE lessons um during some point in term and then I always did athletics in the summer and tennis um but hockey was still like my favorite and I really wanted to pursue that I want I really wanted to play for England um, and I played for, I was thinking I was county captain and I had um, a good bunch of like friends who Greater Manchester County and um, also played club hockey and played for North of England. And then from there, you like go to the trials and things for for England squads at like under 15, under 17 level. And um, I think I was probably, I was good, but I was probably like on the on the you know board of not quite good enough to make like the England squad and you know I was trying my hardest and then one day I I well not one day but I managed to while I was doing all this when I was 14 I qualified for the English schools cross-country championships um, mm-hmm. and I just did that so uh, your school enter you in like your your borough and so that was for me that was Stockport and um if you come in the top eight there you then go to your county champs which was Greater Manchester and then if you come in the top eight there you go to represent um your county at the English schools and to me at the time I had absolutely no idea what it was and I think in the county champs I came like seventh out of the eighth so mum and dad were like oh great we've got to go to it was in Kent this cross country but um I got to you think you paid like 20 quid and you got this horrific shell suit um <laughs> from greater manchester it was like bright blue and bright orange it was horrendous but it was for me it was like oh this is cool i've got a new new kit and like we, you know you stayed in a hotel room with your mates there was four of us in this room that was probably meant for two people um and that was that was the best bit for me and i did the race and i didn't have a clue what was going on i think i came 23rd in the end um and yeah, it was just an exciting trip, really. Um, but from there, I, um, my actual Ross Millington, he also runs, and we were actually at the same school. We were in quite a lot of classes together and stuff growing up. And his dad actually said to me, "You should come down to Stockport Harriers because Ross would always run." And I was like, "Oh, that's good." And I think my parents chatted to his, and um, anyway, I ended up persuading my mum to take me down to another sports club. Um, and mum used to do like the, the adult sessions while I did the junior ones and mm-hmm. 
um, just went from there, really. I managed to, I used to do like young athletes leagues in the summer, um, but running was still a priority, um, hockey was still a priority to me. So I would like only go down to the track on the Thursday rather than a Tuesday um, and once at the weekend if I could, but I'd still be playing, like my weekends would be school hockey, then running, then club hockey, and Sundays might be, uh, you know, club run, and then hockey all in the afternoon. Um, so it was like that for a number of years. And then when I was 16, I managed to qualify for the European Cross team um, as a junior. And I think that was when like my mum and dad could obviously see what was happening. Like I was quite good at running, and um, it was just getting a bit too much. And obviously, you've then got like GCSEs thrown in and all that. And yeah. We, all, we sort of decided that you need to think, okay, am I going to focus on one? And um, I decided to focus on running then, which so I never thought it? I would do. <laughs> yeah, why, why did you do that if hockey was such a passion? Um, I think it was because I, I could see I was qualifying and doing well at running in comparison to the hockey. You know, I'd made the Great Britain team and I was getting a little bit frustrated with my hockey in terms of the training in comparison to running you know what it's like at any level you come away it's so satisfying I think from either just going for a run or doing a hard training session whereas hockey is a lot more skill involved so you're not necessarily coming away all the time like having worked really hard or having got a sweat on as it were you know it used to be cold and um, and dark nights, late nights with hockey, but you're practicing a lot of skill. And for me, I, I wasn't really enjoying that as much. Um, I, I preferred, you know, like getting a sweat on basically. And I really um, enjoyed that aspect of the uh, running. And I think I particularly liked it that you weren't relying on anyone. You know, hockey is a team sport and there are for some frustrations you can get when you're Playing at club level, you've got such a mix of ages. Um, you know, you've got young people like I was at the time, and then people who've been there for years, and all different ranges of fitness levels. And me being quite fit, I would get really frustrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people like, are like, come on, run for the ball. <laughs> yeah. um, that doesn't always happen. So um, I think that sort of swayed me to then go down the running route, and I could just see a lot more opportunities with it um, coming up. And so I decided to to do that really. And I think, you know, one day in my head, I think I would go back to a club if I want to stop running and just play for fun because I enjoy the game. The mm-hmm. game is really fun. Um, and my sister still plays it. And, you know, um, I watch when I can, but it's very rare. But I still, you know, I'm interested in how she's doing. And when the, say the Great Britain squads are on the telly, I will watch. And, um, but, for me, I just think that running had that, you know, it had the, it drawed me to it from the, um, the exertion point of view, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so then you ran for, well, you, you ran for the European Cross Country Championships. Yeah. And then, so I was 16 then. And then, um, I think from there, I had a year or so where I was qualifying for quite a lot of junior Great Britain teams. I went to the World Cross Country in Kenya. Um, I went to European Junior Track Championships and the 3,000 metres. Um, and, you know, I was racing fairly frequently, not too frequently, but, you know, going to all the, the races that we wanted to go to. Um, I think I even received a little bit of kit from Adidas at the time. Um, and then 
just sort of uh, progressed from there really and I was going to all the trials um and it was it was going really well and I'd got loads of like quite a lot of friends as well within running not just from my running club you know all across the country like the likes of Charlie Perdue and Emma Pallant and all of those we we formed quite a nice knit group of us and through I was on on camp with Kelly as well the Kelly Holmes initiative at the time so I used to meet so many girls alike you know across the country and for me that was really social and um when I was going through school sort of at that time I I definitely had more friends like associated with running than I did like in school um I think at that age it's hard for schoolmates to understand the level of commitment and what you do and why you're doing it mm-hmm. um you know in comparison to the people who are involved in the sport you know it was it was that kind of sort of separation did you um, feel like you were sort of thriving under that pressure or was it was it tough yeah there wasn't that much I wouldn't say there was that much pressure really um I I just sort of got on with it because I felt as though I was still quite naive to the sport and quite new to it um where because a lot of other athletes had been just doing running since we were ages like 11 whereas I had come into it at a fairly late stage at like 16 years old really um and then you know really really dropping running uh, hockey when I was like only 18 so it was um a little bit different for me in that respect and I think when it's naive you don't really understand the ins and outs and the opportunities that can happen and so there's no pressure. So, you know, there's a lot of enjoyment. And um, at Stockport Harriers, the club I was at, we did have a really good group. Um, there was a, a good group of girls um, when I very first joined. And then there was still, like, always some young boys that I, I would always train with. And my coach, Tim Turnbull, always sort of um, provided the banter. And um, so it was a good sort of social aspect as well for me. So I always really enjoyed it. Um, and then. Um, I, I've always sort of progressed through and carried on with running, but I have had a lot of injuries along the way. So I've had like snippets of running and then an injury and so on. I think my first injury came when I was 18, when I went to, it was just before, it was before my A-levels. So it was probably quite a good time. So it made me sit down and revise. What was the injury? Um, I had a stress fracture in my navicular, which is a bone in your sort of foot. It's like at the top of your like where, you, where your foot like meets your, your leg, really, I suppose. Um, it's quite a big bone. And again, um, because we'd ne- I'd never, I was saying this to someone the other day, I'd never been to an, a physio appointment at that time. So to then be told, okay, you've got to wear this air cast boot and you probably need to use crutches for a while. I was just like, what? I have no idea what this is. And it came on, I'd been to an international comp um, in Portugal for Great Britain again it was just like a small meet um, and I came back and my foot was a bit sore mm-hmm. uh, I was like oh I must have just twisted it in the race and I didn't really realize because the courses can be quite dry over there on the cross and um, I had a scan and the MRI didn't really show anything so then they sent me for a CT scan and luckily enough I was there was like a junior funding um, kind of thing at the time yeah so um, Paula Dunn actually at the time who is now huge in in British athletics um, she was sort of my point of contact I suppose and she used to help um, me and my coach sort of guide us through all this and and got me to see the doctors and things and 
anyway it, it came back it was a stress fracture and I had no idea what one of them was and uh, I didn't know how to cross train you know if I have a niggle now I'm like straight on the bike and know exactly what to do and mm-hmm. get the physio appointments in and we didn't have a clue like mum and dad would didn't have a clue either so um couldn't really cross train I think there was I was lucky enough to have some strength and conditioning support through that funding and the guy at the time was called Rudy and I think he still works now in maybe over in Birmingham I'm not sure but he really helped me sort of get back to running um he used to make me run like do like little drills in and out of cones and things to get your proprioception back and um just sort of really helped me and I ended up getting back running like my goal was to get back running before I went to Loughborough in the September October when I start uni mm-hmm. and I sort of envisaged um going to Loughborough that would like be where everything happened you know it's the place to be it's gonna answer all of these like injury problems I'm gonna be the athlete I want to be and um it didn't quite pan out like that <laughs> no, at all what happened as I'm sure all of these uh you know you have these sort of visions in your mind and I think at the time I was so I was I don't know what like when we're picking unis I think it was either we were told that Loughborough Birmingham was sort of the centers for athletics at the time and we it was like go there Mm -hmm. because you're then more likely to get supported on funding and I went to look around Birmingham with my mum and we didn't it wasn't I didn't really you know get that feeling from it as I did Loughborough and I didn't really look elsewhere and I was getting offers from the US and didn't really consider it. I didn't consider like living at home and just carrying on my routine as normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if I was to have a child, I'd definitely not do that. <laughs> but again, we were so naive to everything. Um, so I went to Loughborough and at the time I was under um, sort of being passed over from my coach to John Nuttall Um But at the time, he was sort of going through a transition, I suppose, out of UK Athletics. And Loughborough itself and the UK Athletics base there was undergoing a lot of changes. Yeah. And it just wasn't like what I envisaged in the training. Um, Probably I didn't get that one-to-one help that I needed. Again, coming off the back of an injury and still being quite new to the sport. And um, the first year was okay. I, I, I got an I think I got another injury again at the Christmas um, and I had a bit of illness. But, you know, going to uni as a young athlete, you go through such a massive transition. It's it's not really expected that you're going to, like, so everything's going to click. Yeah. Um, and But to be honest, like, I wasn't really enjoying – I enjoyed my course, but the rest of the atmosphere around Loughborough, I don't think it was for me. And uh, halfway through my second year, I was, I was quite – down I wasn't very I wasn't enjoying it at all I was going home every chance I got and I sort of moved back to my home coach and was just doing my own training with a couple of people I knew and do my own thing and I I basically left Loughborough and I applied to the University of Manchester I got my place secured there Mm. and um, I had to start my second year again because you had to sort of get those credits. It was all right doing your first year, but to get a full degree from Manchester, I'd have to start second year again. So I had six months where I was just at home. I I had a couple of jobs and uh, did some volunteer work and then started at University of Manchester in September 2010. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so started second year again. So I was obviously a year older than everyone. Um, and I just lived at home. But that was like one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, just for my, my well-being, I think. Um, I loved Manchester Uni. The course was amazing. And I've got a number of friends there now that are my best friends for life. And I think for me, everybody was so diverse. Like Manchester, the city itself, I absolutely love. But it was great to be able to go to uni, have so many different people, so many different backgrounds, so many different, you know, hobbies and interests. Whereas at Loughborough, everybody was sporty. Everybody was doing the same thing and everybody sort of had the same goal. And for me, it was just too much. And I really liked having you know another focus where you can just switch off from running and everybody's and no one cares if you've been for a run that morning or what training <laughs> session you've done the night before yeah. you know there's not that kind of slight competition and um you know they used to be going out and things like that and I joined like the swimming team and joined the cycling team at the time and just got stuck in and um yeah it was great like the University of Manchester was incredible um and I had a, a really good time. So um, that was a really good decision in the end. And I got my degree in the end. So, um, and when I was there, I think I, um, so 2010, I had a couple of injuries. I think I actually took up triathlon for a little while. <laughs> um, so I was doing a lot of swimming and biking as well, just to try and support my running a little bit. And then in 2011, I decided to move coaches. Um, so I was coached by Mick Woods, who's based in London, and obviously I was in Manchester. So we, it was always remote, and mm. but I, I don't mind that. You know, I'm quite capable of following a program, and because I was sort of like commuting to uni, it was like I was like going to work effectively. So I had sort of quite a structured routine, and was able to fit everything around my studies. And um, I started to, you know, I had some really good performances that. 2011 year um sort of the the autumn end I suppose um and yeah just sort of carried on and I think I finished my degree in 2012 um and again I think I did like the university championships in 2012 I think I came second um I think I even did in 2011 like my first second year at um, Manchester I did the the hill climb championships on the bike (laughs) and uh, I came second so that was uh, that was quite fun Um, and then in 2012 um, I had yeah I did have some more injuries Um, that was when I first had a really bad back injury like I had my compression fractures Um, how had you managed to pick that up what was going on I don't know. I just had some, I had some really bad back pain, like between, it was like between my shoulder blades there when I was struggling to breathe when I was running. And, um, I went to physios and they didn't really know what it was. They thought it was just tight muscles around the area. And my coach said, Mick said, well, I wonder if you've like fractured it somewhere. It just seems a bit strange. It's so high up. See if you can get an x-ray. Mm. And we eventually got the x-ray and eventually got the report. And by the time we got all this, it had sort of got a bit better because it had been about six weeks. And they identified these compression fractures. And this was because um, my bones were, were really quite bad in terms of low bone density. And I ended up going to a sports doctor, um, well, a bone doctor, sorry. Mm. And she prescribed me some 
specific tablets that are meant to sort of stop any uh, bone being broken down um, and just stops all of the kind of bone metabolism in general. Um, so, you know, they don't build up or they don't grow, they broke down and they just stay as they are. Yeah. Um, so after that, I, w- I was quite fine, really. It was just sort of like, oh, okay, you just need to be aware of that. Mm. Um, and later, you know, I can realize like why it might have happened. But um, then that 2012, I managed to win, and this was just the December, I won the European Under 23 Cross Country Champs. And again, you know, I sort of started, so I'd finished my degree now, and I was now doing a master's degree, but I decided to do it part time to just really give me a chance of performing because I, again, I'd had like the glimmers of what I could achieve, but um, never really quite got there. And I was still, I just really wanted to give it a go, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. And my parents were a bit like, right, okay, do this master's, do it part-time, see what happens with you running. And then if not, off you go into work sort of thing, which yeah. I think was fair enough. And um, so I did, and, you know, I won the cross country champs and, it was I felt so easy and it was just you know it was hard the race obviously but in terms of my race in that winter um it was it was just so what I wanted I I did the great south run I came second I'd never done one of those events before and Mm -hmm. Joe Pavey won it so I was like wow you know I'm, I'm getting there now and I did a cross country in Spain and I came third and it was quite you know, caliber, high caliber race. And so, yeah, I beat uh, Fanola Britton, who actually, she's Fanola on the Cormac now, but she at the time won the senior uh, European cross. So um, I was still under 23 at the time. Um, so that whole winter just went as well as we could have expected. And it was great to sort of reach those, the heights that you sort of know you can do. And I really wanted to sort of translate and build on that. Were you still um, getting any injuries at that time? So during that time, so from like say the August 2012 to December 2012, I managed to string together you know some really good training. Um, again, I was doing nothing special. Um, I was still doing cross training in between sessions. I'd always, um, I think I double ran like maybe twice a week, but that was it. Um, and a lot of my sessions were on the grass, like loads on the grass, and I'd never put spikes on in training. I used to do it in like big heavy shoes on purpose and um but then unfortunately in 2013 at the start of 2013 I did the great Edinburgh cross country and I slipped on a log um in the race like sort of jarred my back as it were like coming off it I still ran the race and finished but afterwards mm. it was like I jarred it um and then I think that was there for a a few weeks then but once my back had been okay I then my foot started hurting again so this is the same foot from when I was 18 yeah so I ended up having a scan and I'd actually the fracture I'd had when I was two in eight when I was 18 had actually got worse so they're not even sure if it ever healed properly Oh because um, you can run on unhealed fractures you know some people mm. don't notice them um it's just one of them things but um sometimes they don't like knit back together um so I think that might have been what happened to mine and I ended up having surgery um so I had two screws in my left foot which I think a few people have had now in their naviculars you know more and more people I hear of have had it 
Um, but that took a long time to rehab. It, it's quite a big surgery. And again, I wasn't on any support or anything. So I was lucky enough to have private healthcare. Mm. Um, so I was able to get that. But again, I didn't really have a physio at the time. Um, and I didn't really have the rehab perhaps I should have. Um, and so it, it took me a solid, oh, I think it must have been a year till I raced again. Um, I had the operation in April 2013 and I think I did a local 10k race a year later um, as sort of my first race back. Mm. So it really took me a long time and um, it actually flared up again after the surgery when I'd sort of started my first runs. I think I got to like 15 minutes outside running and I was getting pain and my foot really swelled up for some unknown reason. And the doctors scanned it and were like, yeah, you've damaged another about six bones in your foot. Don't know how, don't know when, but oh the, the one the one you've had repaired looks great. So I was like, yeah. oh, all right, great. So I think actually at 2013, I was just sort of done with running for a while. And I went to the gym and did like body pump all the time and swimming with my friends and, um, you know, spin classes and things. So I was still really active, but just not for any real purpose. Yeah. But then in 2014, I was like, nah, I'm not done with this running. So <laughs> started a slow build back up again. Um, I was still with Mick Woods at the time. And um, again, I, I still uh, I got, I think it was like, again, September. I think I, my body likes like this time of year to perform. <laughs> um, I, I did the 10K PB and um, I was running well. We won the... Um, Great Manchester, we won the the Northern Road Relay Champs for Stockport Harriers, the senior women, and that was really good fun. Um, But then I got, uh, (laughs) I'm just listing off all my injuries. I have done done some running in between. I um, got a 10 centimetre tear in my hamstring. Ow. So, yeah, um, so I managed to do that. But then in 2015, I... Um, actually ran really well in the summer, sort of, you know, from that spring to summer. And I ran PBs right across the board and I was doing quite well on the track even. Mm. Um, so I think I ran, I did the Highgate Harriers. I came second there and I ran in the Diamond League um, at the London Stadium, which was incredible. Um, I was British half marathon champion um, from winning Cardiff. Um, and then I was sort of looking to do Frankfurt Marathon to try and qualify for the 2016 Olympics. And um, I didn't do any too specific training for that. We changed things about a little bit. Um, I had a obviously a longer run on the Sunday, but it wasn't at any specific pace. Mm. And I just had um, my sessions just probably got a little bit longer in the reps and shorter recoveries. Um, and I sort of moved my sessions to Wednesday, Friday, so I could recover more from my Sunday run. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no like nothing like the training I do now for a marathon. Um, and only I was on target in the race for two twenty eight and a half, for example, and that would yeah. have been well under the qualifying time, and I felt comfortable. Um, but around thirty two k, my foot, my well, my foot began began to get sore around halfway. Um, but it was just getting worse and worse with every step. And unfortunately, I had to like step off because, and I then couldn't walk on my foot. I honestly thought someone had sawn my foot off. And I think oh, no. 
people who've had this injury, like they have a trauma plantar fascia, basically. So people who've had that will appreciate the, the pain. It was, it was so bizarre. Um, and then in, so obviously I had to rehab that. Yeah. And I was trying to get back for the 2016 trials, which would have been London Marathon. Um, but it was just too tight with the plantar fascia tear. It was quite an extensive tear and had to have quite a lot of time off. And to build back up is quite a lot of rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, the start of 2016, I think I was rushing back probably a bit too much. And that my back flared up again, which was the first time I've had any back issues since 2012. Um, and what they found through scanning my back wasn't very pleasant. And um, I ended up having, it was quite scary um, from that. And the fact, yeah. you know, your back is quite pinnacle for everything, like standing up, walking. Um, what had they found? They found that um, I'd fractured a number of other vertebrae in my spine. Um, and my spine was sort of, it has like a right angle in it really now from the initial fracture because it's, it's quite small. Um, as in the vertebrae have got that small. So um, mm. they sort of had meetings about me and said, I'm not sure if this person should be running or not really. And so we decided on um, a treatment called teriparatide, which is um, it's a parathyroid hormone analog. So speeds up bone healing, but isn't often used in premenopausal young women like myself. Mm. Um, and you can have it now but I you know I can't have it again like if I'm 70 for example I need it but they hopefully they'll have come up with some other ideas by then (laughs) Um, so anyway I had that for 18 months and luckily enough like everything has improved and my back will still always be like something I have to be cautious about you know I'd never lift some heavy weights on my back or mm-hmm. have like mobilization on my upper spine or anything um so I still have to be cautious about that and my mobility around there isn't very good um but that's just how it is um so yeah then <laughs> 2016 um I don't think I actually competed that much to be honest because I then ended up having two hip labral surgeries um I think I did one in August and one in uh the December Mm. um I was still trying to build back up running um I managed to go away to Font Remoge my first time at altitude that was an experience um and at the end of 2016 I got engaged so that was very nice lovely (laughs) um and then 2017 again was was pretty similar really i really wanted to try and do Berlin Marathon like just before I got married I don't know why um because I because I'd done that training initially for Frankfurt I could see that was where my sort of abilities lied and you know I was really gonna be able to thrive in that sort of space Mm -hmm. Um, but for me it was just being able to string the training together was um the difficulty and I think it's a lot of people's you know no matter what level staying fit and healthy is is the problem isn't it you can do the training it's the ability to manage life around that and staying fit and um illness free really yeah um and in 2017 I actually changed coaches to Rob Hawkins you know I'd seen what he'd done with Callum and Callum was like thriving at the time and obviously Derek before that and I'd met Rob in Frankfurt and he seemed like such a nice sort of grand, grounded guy and I met his wife Sandra who was amazing and I 
I said, you know, would you be able to help me out sort of thing? And at the first few months was sort of, he would just oversee things. I, he just wanted to look, know what my training was like. And at the time I, I didn't really have any structure or anything. I was just, I was doing a PhD as well. So I was trying to balance everything. Yeah. And he just used to give me advice here and there. And um, uh, after our wedding in 2017, we actually went traveling as well. So um, running really wasn't a priority at all. I was just having, you know, a good time. And um, we had such an amazing time traveling on our honeymoon and things. Um, And then in 2018, um, I think both my husband and I, we got new jobs. Um, So sort of moved away from Manchester. We were both in Manchester still. So um, Matthew works for University of Nottingham and I work for Nottingham Trent University. And I started to get some consistency in my running, really. and that's what I did. And at the end of the summer in 2018, I was like, should we do a race to Rob? And he was like, <laughs> yeah, let, let's see what happens. And I ended up doing doing all right. I did a 5K. I think I did 15.55 for my first one um, at that podium 5K. And I did the 10K at Trafford. And I think I did 32.51. And, and it was just nice to be back running. And it wasn't my PB, but it wasn't far off either. And from what I'd been through, I was quite satisfied with that. Yeah. And then um, I sort of, I, you know, continued um, training and working. And Rob was setting me more sessions now because he could sort of see I was going in that direction. And I was like, do I do the cross country? And I sort of pushed it to Rob and he was like, well, you'll never know. So, you know, I said, I've got half an eye on the European cross. Like, what do you think? And I hadn't mm-hmm. run across country in six years. And he was, I said, well, what do you think? He said, well, why don't you do the Milton Keynes challenge, which is 5k. Um, and so it's obviously not too long and the course isn't too treacherous or anything. And then you'll, mm-hmm. you'll, you'll get your answer from that. If it's diabolical, you don't need to do the trials if it's all right, then you can crack on. And I came second um, to Kate Avery, who's obviously yeah. a great cross-country runner. And I was like, I'd really got the buzz back then because cross-country was how I fell in love with the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I think the trials was only two weeks away. So I did the trials in two weeks and I came third. Wow. So I qualified for the team. And um, again, that was the first time I'd done cross-country. I think even put spikes on in about six years. It was just so weird but so good at the same time um so then went to the European cross champs and for me it was just great to be there mm-hmm. uh, we came second as a team I came 10th um I was sort of semi happy with that but I would have liked <laughs> higher but again you know it is what it is and actually two days before that European cross I don't think many people know but I actually twisted my ankle really really bad oh my gosh and, and it, I was doing my like pre-race session on on the pitches at work which I had done all year um because we've got lovely like smooth grass there and I I twisted my ankle and I didn't think anything of it and I finished the session so it must have been about eight nine miles where like warm down warm up and stuff and I've stopped and I was getting changed getting ready for work and then after the change room I couldn't walk to my office it was that big and I was like how on earth have I done this? I've waited six years for this and I've just twisted my ankle. I'd never twisted my ankle before. Um, so anyway, I didn't, didn't then run, I don't think, till the day before the race. And mm-hmm. it was okay, but it wasn't perfect. But yes. 
I ran anyway and it was a bit bruised a couple of days after but it was fine well, and you still came 10th yes yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah I've got some very purple yellow pic- pictures of my uh, ankle after that race oh um so after that I still was sort of focused on the cross and um qualified for the world cross which again was the famous it was the first time it was 10k which I know some people think, yeah, let's get 10K equal men and women. And normally I'm all for that sort of equality and things, but I'm like 10K of cross country, (laughs) really? Um, But anyway, we did it and we came fourth team and I was asked to be captain of that team in terms of the whole, you know, the Great Britain squad. And for me, that was such an honor. And it was just sort of, um, it was really nice. And I worked like not, you do a speech the night before, it's sort of tradition and, I tried to work really hard on my speech and I think everybody appreciated it anyway. So um, I think I worked out like I'd got the the senior members of the staff. I knew who they were. So I'd looked them up in terms of their own performances. So like Rob Denmark, obviously he'd been to the, I think he won the Commonwealth at the Steeplechase. Mick Woods had done about, I think he's done about 20 something marathons or something in his time. And Helen Clitheroe was our team manager. So I always had loads of stats about her. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to like get everyone to know one another. And then obviously I knew some of the teammates. So like Ross, I went to school with and Adam Hickey, he last went to World Cross St. Thomas me in Kenya and then Kate Avery and then a couple of the juniors as well. So I really worked hard on it. <laughs> I think people were laughing at me, but I wanted to do it. And then, um, the rest of 2019 was just um, what I wanted really for so, so long. Um, I did the Vitality 10K, so came second at the British Champs and then went to altitude training. It was a bit of a last minute decision really, but mm. I tagged on along with Rob, Callum, Derek and Derek Ray. Um, I didn't stay with them. I was in different accommodation, but um we sort of, you know, they, they joined me with me all the sessions and runs and things. And I don't think ever at one of our easy runs, we would all run together, but normally it would be like a big string of us. <laughs> so we wouldn't actually run together that often, but it was just so good to see like the likes of Callum and the Derek's train because they all train so hard and um, recover so hard as well. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm always like, have to be doing something. You know, I'm not very good at sitting down, putting your feet up. And um, it was just a great experience. And we actually traveled from there to Beach to Beacon 10K, which is in um, Boston area in Cape Elizabeth. Um, And that was really cool there. And I did an all right race there as well. And but came back from that trip like sort of really motivated and also the benefits of altitude training. I did actually seem to respond to it and just sort mm. of kick started the marathon plan then. Um so it so was what, always why our, was it Florence? Why did you why did you decide to do well, that one? I didn't originally decide to do Florence. So I was originally aiming for Frankfurt again, which is traditionally it's normally like the second or the last weekend in October. And everything was geared towards that and had started my taper. Um, and I think this was, must have been the Wednesday before the week of the race. So maybe like 10 days out from the race, mm. I was doing a run. I'd done a, I think I'd done a session the day before. Um, I was doing a run and I was like, my calf's really tight. And there was, you know, I stopped a couple of times to stretch it and I just, mm 
didn't think too much of it. And then I think I was traveling to London for a meeting, stretching it on the train. And I was texting Rob. I was like, I'm not sure. I think tomorrow I might just like do a bike session instead. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. Um, but anyway, it didn't get any better. And I tried to rest. It tried to run. And I ended up not being able to race. Um, I'd torn my calf. Oh, no. It was just like one of them random things in the taper that comes up. You literally like wake up with it. I had no idea where it'd come from at all. And I was, I was gutted. Obviously, I was really gutted. And but like you know, had that momentary like sadness. But Rob pulled me around and said, like, look, we can get you in another race. Like, there's Valencia in December, or there's Florence. There's other opportunities. We can just bike our way there. You've got the fitness. Um, so that's what we did you know I had to have two weeks I couldn't run I had to let the injury heal bite like I've never biked before and I always do on my indoor bike I don't really trust myself outside <laughs> so um, luckily enough I have a what bike Atom that was a nice Christmas present of my husband um, birthday present of my husband a few years ago mm. um, and it's definitely made you know it's been used well yeah so I do I do like the marathon sessions but on the bike and right. actually they were really hard <laughs> much harder so I'd be on there for two and a half three hours at a time and um basically just replicated everything on there and then when we started back running um I think I didn't even run that much in the lead up then to Florence because I think after you count for those two weeks we must have had maybe three to four weeks till Florence um I didn't actually run that much because I was still getting like quite a bit of nerve pain, I think, associated with the calf issue. Not sure if it was like the scar tissue from healing or or what really. Um, and I only booked my flights for Florence like five days before the race because <laughs> that was when I like officially decided, okay, I'll do this. Because um, it had been like, okay, I'll, I'll ra- run a couple of days, it was fine. Then the next day it would be annoying and yeah. uh, that really. But anyway, I... I we went and lucky enough my husband came and my mum and dad came out as well actually so it was nice to have them to be able to you know calm me down and there was no one there there was no one at Florence and there was no pressure so I just sort of went in with that attitude really um Rob I spoke to Rob like a couple of days before and he was like just do not go off too hard and that's what I'm notoriously known for doing I think in racing and also from my training, <laughs> he would try and set me like progression runs and seven mile progression run. Um, I just, I just can't do them. Like, I think I always go into it and I think I'm worried about, oh, I can't hit the pace if I start off too slow. Um, so he, you know, he really said to me, like, you have to go off like a, a appropriate pace. Do not go off too hard. Yeah. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, I'll really try. And I'm not very good with my watch and things. So anyway, there was two pace groups in Florence and um, stuck with like the second one because um, I could see the leaders um, and I was like, oh, that's a bit too fast. Even if it was just like a couple of seconds too fast every K, it, it all mounts up, doesn't it, as you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, so I stuck with like the second group and just tried to stay as relaxed, relaxed as possible all that time I was just trying to think like keep your shoulders relaxed and stay at the back of that pack so you're not sort of wasting energy moving around from everybody like getting in the way um and there was a few sort of Great Britain lads in there as well who were really sort of nice to sort of tag on to 
Um, and then at halfway, I think we went through in like 74, 30, 40 or something. So I was like, oh, okay, well, perhaps I need to pick it up a little bit to make yeah. sure I get the qualifying time. Um, and at halfway point, exactly, we joined up with the lead group and the lead group had their, a pacemaker. And basically then the next 10K, I found myself at the front. And as soon as I latched onto this pacemaker, it was like I was a different person. I just got competitive and I just started racing. And I don't think I looked at my watch again. Um, I tried to, and I tried to like work out things because there was a car in front, a few, you know, 20, 30 meters in front with the time on. Yeah. I just couldn't work it out and I couldn't even see the time properly. I don't, I have contact lenses. But I couldn't really see it. I was like trying to squint, but I couldn't, I couldn't see the time. So I was like, oh, well, see what happens here. And I think the last 10K, it was just, that was when I dropped the person who was just behind me. Um, there was one person who, um, like, I couldn't shake. But then, I, like, I think there was, it was 32K. There was a bit of a hill going, like, over a, a viaduct kind of thing and then down again. And I knew that, she was tiring I could push up the hill and then I think she just had enough and like couldn't be bothered so I like pushed off down the hill and then the pacemaker just ran with me to the end and he was sort of adjusting according to my pace and my sort of um feedback to him really I was sort of I didn't really say much but I was like waving at him like oh slow down speed up whatever um and yeah I just hung on really I think when I got to 40k I was like okay I'm ready for the finish now <laughs> but that was um the last few k were in the city so it was really quite twisty and yeah. cobbles and but those crowds were really full and I could hear my mum a couple of times she was like I love you Jess I was like mother oh. like at this point <laughs> this is not the right thing to say <laughs> um so yeah I only realized like what time I was on for literally the last 20 meters when I got to that like blue carpet that was when I could see um and yeah it was just I think you know looking back um when I've done these kinds of interviews it it makes me feel excited that actually happened Mm -hmm. but at the same time I look back and I think everything went right as it could have done on that day you know um I'm sure a lot of your listeners will appreciate like your stomach is good you know it tolerated all my drinks all my gels um, and that's always been like an issue for me in training. I try and manage things the best I can, but I always, if not more than often, have to stop at some point in the training session. Mm-hmm. Um, but the race, it was fine. The weather was perfect, which again is out of your control totally. Um, so that was good. Um, my warm up was good. Um, I think my nutrition in terms of the night before, I was able to access all of the foods that I wanted. Um, I'd slept okay, you know, in terms of sleeping the night before a race. And um, and then, yeah, there's the competition was there as well in terms of that pacemaker and the, the competition around me was, was really good. So, um, yeah, it just sort of spurred me on. And there's actually a video that my husband has of me finishing and they're playing like Pavarotti music at the end. But as I'm coming into the finish and it does give me goosebumps when I watch it back but I had no idea at the time that music was playing I had no clue I didn't have a clue and I think that just shows you like how much in the zone you are like yeah yeah even you know no matter what time you're running I think 
you can you you know when you're in that zone don't you even if it's just a training run and it just passes by so quick it's just Mm -hmm. you're in that sort of flow and mindset and I think that was what I was in during that race really and it just seemed to to happen as I wanted it and and what's um, been what's been the reaction like since you since you've done it yeah it's been it's been good in terms of obviously straight away afterwards I got you know lots of media requests I suppose and lots of support even at my work and things and now I'm lucky enough to get a sponsorship deal with Nike which has been amazing and obviously helps support me able to go part-time which is you know phenomenal Mm -hmm. um I think getting into races is a little bit easier um obviously I think it's probably not been as great because we've been in this situation this year um but you know it, it is what it is I think it's not been as easy to sort of get funding support from a governing body that's made no difference um but that's that I think that'll always be sort of an issue um so I'll probably still have to sort of prove myself in terms of making teams and doing the yeah. time again and um that sort of thing so um and I think for me it's just you know the re- one of the reasons why I did well there I think was because I also had quite a consistent year in 2018 to then be able to build on in 2019 and everything sort of came together at the end of that and it just shows you how much like consistency plays a good role. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not running, I suppose, um, it's the consistency in the training or no matter what level, if you want to keep progressing, then just turning up day in, day out or whatever your training plan, it, it really, I always see it as like laying the foundations to build that house. It's, it's what everybody needs at whatever level. So, um, yeah. it's. I mean, it's have just, you found now that you're, because you know, it, that's a, a right old catalogue of injuries that you've had. <laughs> yeah. And have you find, found that they are, I mean, are you still getting injuries or is, is your training such that the injuries are sort of minimised now? Yeah, I think um, I'm never going to stop injuries because of the way we're pushing our bodies all the time. Um, so, you know, I still do have, you know, um, my Achilles issues or a little calf niggle here and there or whatever. But um touch wood I seem to have not been able to have to have like the big layoffs and the big injuries and things where um I have lots of time away and I'm able to manage the issues that I do have better and I think um part of my story is that like I didn't have a period um naturally and then I didn't have one until I was 27 through all of that and since then as well I've seemed to have touch wood like fewer injuries as well so I think that was part of that whole problem that you know, you've, you've talked really honestly before about um reds yeah so is that is that an umbrella under which you you believe that you were falling so I think it was a bit of both really so some of it would have been sort of red s situation mm. um and within that having not had a natural menstrual cycle when I was a youngster um, so going through puberty, you would normally start your period and therefore have an influx of estrogen, which is really important for bone health and bone mm-hmm. development, which I never had. And I then started taking the oral contraceptive pill as advised um, as a way to sort of check everything was okay. But that then gives you the perception that everything is okay when actually the oral contraceptive is a synthetic hormone and will give you a withdrawal bleed. So yeah. no matter what you are, um, but it's still not giving you that higher amount of estrogen that you need to protect your bones. And therefore, 
not only did I have a plethora of bone injuries, but also if I've got a weaker skeleton, then the muscles are attached to that weaker skeleton. So they're inevitably going to be susceptible to injury as well. Um, and I think that was a lot of the problem why I was getting injury upon injury upon injury. So how, um, how were you diagnosed? What, what happened? In terms of um, getting my cycle back, you mean? Or... Yeah, yeah. Well, how did, you, how, did you work out, how did you work out that it was all linked? How did you figure out um, the, whole, the, you know, the, the Venn diagram of no periods and lots of fractures? Yeah, it was just through my own knowledge, I think. Um, so my master's degree, I really, at the time, I knew about female athlete triad through my running. Um, and then I came to do my master's. I was doing like a research-based master's and I wanted to investigate the female athlete triad a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I did do, and I was able to recruit, um, you know, a lot of the top endurance runners um, in, the, in the country. Like, thank you for their time and everything. And they were really willing. And I obviously did a lot of literature review and research through that and to produce a thesis. And it's now published. Um, and that sort of made me more aware of it. And then over the years since then, I've become more and more aware in discussions like with various clinicians through both research and running around what the all contraceptive pill is and what other hormonal contraceptions do. And um, I think just through my own knowledge, really, it's developed. No one like told me to come off the pill and see what happens um it was just my own thought really I thought well why not let's just see if I can at the time I was it was when I wasn't specifically training for anything and then you know I I wanted to make sure everything was okay for future life never mind for just my running yeah um so that was when I decided to just like let's see what happens really it was just one of them things and um I really made an effort in terms of my nutrition as well to make sure that I was getting enough of, you know, protein, carbohydrates, fats in. Uh, whilst I wasn't training specifically, I was still exercising, you know, to a moderate level. Um, and some of that was running, some of that was like biking or swimming. Um, you know, I was still active all that mm. time. Um, and yeah, I was able to start a cycle and it was um, just made me realize that, okay, well, perhaps. And then I've never, you know, gone on, I've not got any on hormonal contraceptions after that, really, because I'm sort of so protective of it. And for me and my training, it's an indication that I'm balancing everything as I should. And everything's, you know, I'm still able to do like the big mileage weeks in marathon training, but also have a period like that's really key for me. And I think reading about the likes of like Shalene Flanagan and Joe Pavey and Helen Clitheroe all come out and say, you know, I had a natural cycle all the time I was training and that's why they were so consistent Mm -hmm. and always at the, you know, always at those major championships, always performing their best, always improving year on year. And I think I started to look at those people as sort of um, a bit more of like role models towards where we should be and where we want all girls to like aspire to in their training that periods are a really good indicator to you that training's going as it should and your balance is right and um, so so what do women and girls need to be looking out for I think um obviously we we can't stop everybody going on a hormonal contraceptive pill or um, whatever kind of hormonal contraception they choose because you know if that's what they want and that's that's for them um, but I think it's just important to make sure that 
that approach is right for you. You're not just taking it um, as a way to check everything's okay or if you've had a period where you've not had any menstrual cycles and someone's told you to go or use this medication as a way of getting it back, that's not quite the right manner. Um, I think what all women should understand is that hormonal contraception is a synthetic form of contraception and that um, the amount of hormone that you get is a lot lower than you would do from a natural menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we should try and if we do have natural menstrual cycles to sort of take control of it a little bit and be aware of what's happening to our bodies at different times and, you know, where the hormones are at. And there are a number of different, like our podcast or the uh, Fitter Women app. And there's other apps as well that sort of indicate to you what, what stage of the cycle you're at. And you can. Yeah. Tell me about that. Tell me about Fitter Women, that that app. How, how does that help women with their training? (laughs) So the Fitter Women app, it details to you the what is going on in your body, basically. So you can input the day of your cycle, so when it starts and when the next one starts, and you can input your own symptoms, and it will adjust accordingly. So it will give you um, sort of an estimation of what you might expect to find at different stages of the cycle according to what your hormones are doing. But again, if you input your own details then you can start to sort of track your own symptoms and uh, track your own cycle as to how you feel. And then you can be prepared for that. And you can perhaps start to introduce your own little home remedies, as it were. It might be that if you know you're going to feel heavy-legged on days 20 to 25, then perhaps days um, 17 to 19, you need to incorporate more stretching into the daily routine or just spend 10 minutes before bed every night doing a little stretching routine and it might help your legs the next day Mm -hmm. and you can start to try these different things that are all and some suggestions are made within the app to get you going um and then you start to be able to like prepare for these events and just help you then turn up each day whether that's training or work or just general life um, you can turn up every day just being the best that you can on that day so I think um, you know it's really good I particularly like to recommend it to young girls just so they become aware of it and can start to acknowledge what's happening to their bodies because it's going to be there for a number of years so we need to understand what's happening you know I think yeah I think it's, it's incredibly important isn't it I mean I there was so much I didn't understand about periods and cycles until I was trying to have a baby, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're, you know, when you're first getting your period, if you, if you start your period, um, you know, at 12, 13, 14, you know, you, you just don't know that stuff. You don't know, you don't know, um, you know, you don't know what ovulation means particularly. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, apps like Fitter Woman, I mean, obviously physically, well, I say obviously, but physically it's going to help you perform, like you say, in the best that you can. But I mean, in terms of supporting your mental health as well, I think this is it's really important because you can see the patterns start and you just sort yes. of think, OK, well, I will be feeling terrible at this point during the month. Yeah. And so you can yeah. sort of plan for it or at least acknowledge that that's something to do with a hormonal balance or imbalance. Yeah, exactly. I've said the same thing to I think I've been I've been working with Scottish athletics the past couple of weeks and one of the ladies over there said she started to do it as well and she's you know 
40 plus I think she said and um she noticed that okay these last this last week before I start my new cycle I'm like a monster I'm really angry all the time yeah so someone asked me for a meeting in that day and I said actually can we have it the week after and she moved that meeting so because she knew she would be better that week in terms Mm -hmm. of mental ability and uh, capacity to be able to um you know compute all these different things and it's even things like that you know you can just adjust to if you know you're not going to be able to do those kinds of things and why put yourself under that strain obviously sometimes we can't help it and we can't move everything but yeah. we can we can accommodate the best we can can't we and yeah uh, like you say just preparing for that makes you more sort of mentally in control don't absolutely we? So, yeah, yeah yeah and you do a podcast as well don't you the female athlete podcast tell me about that yeah yeah so that was a sort of our lockdown project I think um <laughs> So we, Georgie and I, so Georgie, who also works for Orico, who has a lot of involvement with the Fitter Women app, we've known each other through running and research circles for a number of years now and share the same passion. And um, whilst Georgie works a lot more on the applied side, like on the ground with the athletes, I sort of see a lot from the research perspective. And we've always talked about doing like a roadshow, for example, going around lots of different places, educating women. But obviously coronavirus <laughs> was not going to let us do that. So she knew Lucy um, through her work and we said, why don't we do a podcast? And we were a bit like, oh, OK. And anyway, we just dove right in and we were able to get support from the Physiological Society. So we got a small grant to be able to like buy the microphone and the equipment and things. And Lucy really, um, Lucy Lomax is amazing and she's like a trailblazer in this for us. She sort of puts everything together, keeps us on track and Georgie and I sort of provide the science jargon. And yeah, we've loved it and we're on to series two. We've just started series two. So I think mm-hmm. this week is episode three, um, talking about um, sort of um, pre- postnatal health um, and coming back to running from that. We've got two expert physios on and um, yeah, I think like you, it's just you actually get to know a lot of different people, but also it widens your own understanding, doesn't it? And, oh, absolutely, um, yeah. It's, it's, it's like an education tool for yourself, I think, is what we've found. Um, oh, yeah, it's, 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 um, it can be, as much as it's wonderful to get the podcast out there, it, it feels um, embarrassingly selfish. you're sort of meeting incredible athletes um, yeah but yeah finding out all this stuff that's yeah very beneficial yeah yeah Yeah, exactly and you know we've sort of tapped into areas we might not have thought about like ultra running and managing your cycle when you're out on the road for five to six days or something is a area we didn't really think about and we interviewed Jenny Tuff on that and that was incredible and oh she's brilliant yeah 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 I think we've spoken to Sophie Powers another one yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) so just all these areas you think about and then we're planning for series three and you sort of run out of space you're like oh god we're gonna have to keep going forever because yeah it's not it's um it's difficult to think of to to kind of um to to well it's it's hard not to think of people to interview there there are so many people to yeah, talk to exactly. and like you know conversations um about running can be so broad that yeah you can yeah. talk to Sophie Power or Jenny Tuff at one side but at the other hand you know particularly what you've just been talking about I mean how interesting would it be to talk to the manufacturer of Moon Cup for instance and how they've yep. kind of 
like really really helped uh, like long distance runners be able yeah. to do m- much more you know, longer runs and stuff like that when it came from a, a very different sort of standpoint but I think um that sort of like technology in in kind of into women's periods is is so important in enabling us to run because you can't do that with a tampon yeah exactly um, so yeah just absolutely amazing so yeah i've yeah. been thinking about that thinking about who can i interview about yeah well we interviewed period um, politics basically yeah exactly we interviewed a couple um on like breast health who was involved in like developing sports bras and all that kind of research which again mm. i'd never think about and um, especially as a youngster I think I used to run in you know Mark Spencer's bras kind of thing yeah. <laughs> it's not something you you come across and then we've also spoken to um she's called Laura I can't remember her surname but she developed the first women's football boot I know it's not to do with periods but it's mm. amazing what she was saying that all football boots are um devised based on male feet whereas this first one she's invented is like based on a woman's foot for a women which is yeah. you just thought well why aren't they anyway but they're not so um it's just incredible what you learn along the way <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so um what who do you find inspires you then like running or otherwise yeah I think um oh there's so many women out there that are inspiring I think the likes of you know we spoke about like Paula Dunn earlier so she was someone I knew growing up and she was just really passionate about the sport she was a sprinter herself and really sort of helped me when I was growing up in the sport mm. and now she's sort of heading up uh, para-athletics at British Athletics and what she's done for the sport in general is just amazing and how she's progressed herself um, you know at the time I don't think she was um, a coach or in any kind of fashion and then she's just sort of taken on board everything and para-sport is just flying it's, it's amazing you know um, so what she's done, I think, is incredible. And then I really sort of look up to the likes of all those three we just mentioned, I suppose, like Jelaine Flanagan. I'm a real admirer of her, um, you know, and that group in America, I think, is incredible. And what mm. they're doing for women in sport is great. Uh, Joe Pavey has always been one of my favourites. Um, yeah. In 2015, yeah, yeah, she sort of mentored me a little bit as well. I used to call her up and just have long conversations oh. with her. Um, we went to the European Cup together for the 10k on the track and from there we've just been good friends and um, yeah she's just incredible because she's been through so much and she's always so gutsy about about everything and the way she managed pregnancy as well I think is really aspiring absolutely and um, Helen Clitheroe as well you know she has managed quite a few senior women's teams now that I've been on and she's just so down to earth and again she was so consistent and yeah. it was just incredible like what she's done throughout the sport and she's gone on to coaching now which I think is great and she's got quite a good group of girls so um and even now like she'll she's sort of supportive of me and she works does a bit for England athletics so mm-hmm. it's always like if you need anything let me know Jess and um yeah just just those people really and for all women in sport you know you look up to I think like Serena Williams, who's come back from pregnancy and is now playing top-level pre- tennis again, is is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, just anyone, um, really. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what's your All next race going to be, Jess? <laughs> well, the main one would be um, the Olympic trials, the March twenty sixth. Yeah, so that's definitely the A race. Um, so I think if we can get any B and C races before then, that would be really nice. But obviously, COVID restrictions will determine that. 
Um, so it'd be nice to get maybe even just a local race before Christmas. Um, mm-hmm. If we can like do something perhaps in December. So um, what distances are we talking? Well, obviously I, don't, I wouldn't do another marathon until the trials now because it's too close. Um, so it would either be a 10K or a half. Um, but COVID will decide. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I think, yeah. you know, throughout this year, we just have to get into like Hakuna Matata mode and just go with the flow. Yeah, it's <laughs> very sort of seize the day, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Worst comes to worst, I'll just do a time trial or something with my husband on the bike. Yeah. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to enter that competition to win all those Rundawear goodies. Go to BIT dot ly forward slash rundaware comp to enter good luck this episode was recorded over zoom the editor and composer was david newman and my brand new mic is the podcast pro from sontronics it's red and lovely please hit like and subscribe that way you won't miss the next episode and i'll feel all warm and happy at women's running we want to inspire you to run whether you've never run before or you're training for your fifth ultramarathon We think that women who run need a space for themselves and we want to be that. Every month we talk all things running and all things women, from training plans for specific distances to interviews with incredible runners, ideas on how to improve your running and remain injury-free, to delicious recipes to fuel your running and tons of advice on women's health. The easiest way to get hold of a copy is to go to our online shop at shop.womensrunning.co.uk. Or you could get it delivered direct to your door or to your inbox every month by subscribing. You can buy the digital edition at pocketmags.com or download the app to your phone or tablet through your app store. For all the different ways to read the magazine, go to shop.womensrunning.co.uk. Do join us. We would love to have you with us. Happy running. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.